Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy happy holidays. Continue. Happy Christmas week. Everyone celebrating, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Syracuse sits in one. Should be ranked, but isn't. Not not even not ranked. We actually did not receive any votes this week after receiving four last week. Just dumb. It's no one knows what to do with college basketball right now. So, you know, it's not even like a thing to get worked up about. It's just like the, the state of the sport is so stupid right now that, like, what do you even deal? Like, just no one knows what's happening. Yeah, like, honestly, I don't care because I didn't expect Syracuse to be ranked at any point this year. Um, I just figured after receiving uh, four votes last week that... And then winning um, two games. <laughs> and then winning two games. Of course, like, not in any impressive fashion uh, by any means, but at the same time, winning two games, um, I, I, I guess uh, the guy who voted for us uh, from the Kansas City Star was uh, was was very, very unimpressed um, by... The uh, overtime win over Buffalo and a six-point win over Northeastern. I can't say I was necessarily impressed either, but you know th- these things happen. It's it's just like we're running out of teams that are like sits and one by any stretch. So um, aside from like the you know the Gonzagas and the Baylors and whatnot at the top of the rankings, like you know just went survive. This we're kind of in like a full season NCAA tournament right now. It's very much a survive in advance type deal. So while like most of our wins have been pretty, uh, you know, closer than we want. Um, although I think Bryant just beat UMass today. So that's a nice result for them. And Rutgers is legit, like really good. Um, Something yeah, we don't like, normally want to see. Oh, I thought it was hilarious. Cause like everyone, every time they play now, cause they beat Illinois over the weekend. Every time they play, there's a lot of circuses. Like look at the Rutgers store. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> it's pretty it was, wacky. I mean, it, it was it, that. It, and then, like, Patriots fans rooting for the Jets to win out of pure, <laughs> pure schadenfreude. Um, but just a really weird sports weekend. <laughs> I mean, this is a strange – I mean, and, and, and it's not even considering the, you know, four uh, college football playoff teams that you could have guessed back in, uh, like, back May. In the, 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 yeah. Like, Notre Dame is probably a little surprising, but, like, they were in the first poll, and the poll basically stayed the same the whole time, which isn't usually the case, like – this is the first year since the start of the playoff that we have no new teams. Every team's been in it before. Um, let me turn my fan off since I'm sure that sounds terrible. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, I can't really argue too much with the four teams that got in. Like, do we put an A&M who lost by a million to Alabama already? Like, do we put them in? Do we put in? I, I would have been totally thrilled with Cincinnati, but, like, that wasn't going to happen because the committee every single year ramps up um the clarity with which it uh just excludes the, the group of fives no matter what um and then like i don't know what do you want oklahoma after they lost hell like, no. They looked, no so like i actually don't really have a problem with notre dame being the fourth team to be honest um it's well, not they that did exciting. get smoked <laughs> yeah no they're they're gonna get dominated in this game but because i don't think there was a great option if you're going to just leave out cincinnati I would have probably put in Cincinnati because at least we yeah. don't know what would have happened. Like we can assume that they, they would lose by 30 to Alabama, but that's what's going to happen to Notre Dame. And at least like Notre Dame already proved that they can't compete with Clemson with Trevor Lawrence. So at least give Cincinnati the shot to get blown out. Um, but yeah, so beyond that, everything was a mess. Like the, the, the treatment of like the teams like coastal, um, even the teams like Indiana, like the lesser than like, imagine if Syracuse had a good year this year. What would we be in? Like the Gasparilla Bowl? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'd, I'd be outraged. I just think realistically, like this is a nonsensical situation this year in particular where, and I said this on Twitter on Sunday, like you you, you have a 14 playoff mixed with a lack of transparency in the process. 
and then a, an unprecedented almost period of dominance for a handful of teams um, with Ohio State, um, you know, Alabama and Clemson obviously just ending up in the event just about every year. Like it, it definitely gets hard to stomach um, as a fan of, of someone who's, you know, a fan of a team that's not one of those is not right on the doorstep. And you end up in this 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 really poor situation for the sport where, you know, fans like us obviously exist in the margins and, and, and find success in, in small victories. And yet instead we end up in a situation where you do start eroding interest in the sport because you've now everyone knew that they didn't have a shot to win the championship. But now you're in a situation where there is no they're actively cutting off every even viable option. For, for fans to entertain the fact that they could make a playoff. Um, it's and, like you can't and, even dream. Like, yeah, you can't even dream. And and, and I remember like that that first set of commercials um, back in 2014 where it was like, who's in? And it was literally like any fan base and it was showing random mascots. And like, like, like it's not that the advertising is reflective of what's actually happening, but those ads, gone. Like any idea that like that, that that any other team could make it besides Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State as the invitational dictates gone. Like that, the fourth team is Notre Dame or Oklahoma. Um, I, I think in general, from a conference standpoint, like this is a perfect storm in, in many regards. Where I, I, I honestly like without looking at the numbers, I don't think we've been here before. Where the same team wins the SEC, SEC almost every year. The same team wins the ACC almost every year. The same team wins the Big Ten almost every year. Um, the same team wins the Big 12 every year, <laughs> and then the Pac-12 has made itself irrelevant by uh, by a comedy of errors. The Pac-12 um, might as well be the AAC, like right. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so at this, yeah. So at this point, like, like, what are you supposed to do here? I think it's well. So I think it's interesting because we've seen a, a very a, a swath of reactions. I saw some people arguing that, like, honestly, the BCS is better, and I don't think that's true. I think the BCS ended in a time where stuff was still very regionalized. I think the national, I think the nationalized recruiting has done more damage, and there's no way to avoid it. Like it just, it's just a natural um, impact of like technology and everything. But like when we were when, back in 2012, when Alabama would win pretty often, but not every year, they weren't going to California to debt quarterbacks, or they weren't going to Hawaii to debt quarterbacks. They were staying in their general region. Maybe they'd get they'd branch out a little bit, but now, um, I mean, you have. Uh, you know, last year Tua was from Hawaii. This year Najee Harris is from California. There's, you know, still the 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 bulk of the teams from the South. But when they have like a special uh, special player they want to go get, like it's really hard for like even USC to beat out Alabama in its backyard for a player. And Clemson's the same way. Clemson really focuses on players that they want. Like uh, uh, Uyendalele is from California, and like Clemson went across the country and got him, and that was like the quarterback they wanted, and they got him. So that's made schools like mostly just honestly Alabama, Ohio state and Clemson really. And then Georgia is pretty dominant in its region, but hasn't done as much of the national stuff, but it's made them so much more dominant than they were in the BCS era. So even when there are two more spots, because there was so much more, um, there was more, uh, there was more balance in recruiting. I think back then, even though the same teams were always on top, it was less uh, ridiculous. Like the, the margins were, were not as big. Um, at least that's my theory here. And then, yeah, no, uh, I think that's a great theory, actually. And realistically, when you look at the demise of the Pac-12, the demise of, I think, the Mountain West, really, outside of Boise, who does recruit nationally, um, and, like, the Northeast kind of struggles, I think it all kind of maps out, you know, where where you can clearly see that there's a, that there's a concentration of power. And you and I were talking about this on Slack, like, last year, when I was looking just at the list of, of, of 
you know, who, who Penn State and I mean, Penn State to some extent, but who Ohio State, Oklahoma, um, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson um, offer, and they really just offer the top 200 kids and see who shows up. And it and, and, and doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter what they're doing beforehand. Um, they just do that. And for the few that don't work out, they end up transferring to somewhere else. And that's probably where they would have ended up to begin with um, in, in, in a prior situation. Um, but now instead we see this just, yeah, they, they, they just blanket off of the top 200 kids. And then for the most part, that's who fills out the rosters of the top five or six programs. And the rest of us are kind of left with whatever. Yeah. It's like, I think if the BCS was still in place today, because you just see Alabama and Clemson in the BCS title game all the time, like it wouldn't be better. It'd be, it'd be worse. Just well, the BCS, the, the two team BCS would be worse. I still think yeah, that yeah. so some, some amalgamation of the BCS, the S and P plus, um, you know, maybe Massey or whatever, or Sagarin, like some sort of BCS type computer rankings that at least gave us a guideline. And then like, like, like realistically it's, it's like Ken Palm, um, like the RPI was like the net is supposed to be for college basketball. Like that's not the end all be all, but it's a guide and it's a tra- and it's transparency toward the selection. And if, if, if Cincinnati being left out had like a specific ranking number to point to and go, this is why the Bearcats are out. You know what? I'd be more okay with it. Oh, and yeah. I think a lot of other people would be too. Or, or, or if you said every single year, if you pointed to the B, the old BCS rankings, even and said, okay, every single year, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama were 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 the top, were three of the top four teams. Be like, okay, I'm I can stomach this, but because of the, you know, uh, acrobatics that happen on the on the committee side, the fact that they don't really have much transparency, the fact that they are flying to a uh, ballroom in Dallas, despite the fact they're in the middle of a pandemic when they could easily watch games and, and video conference <laughs> from their couch um, about this. Like, you know, I mean, you can go year by year, body clocks, game control, all these stupid phrases. Like it's a PR exercise and all it's done is it's, it's, it's legitimized a structure that, that by and large has cut out 95% of the sport uh, from access to a championship. And we were all fine with that when it wasn't like kind of held over us. Now that it's being held over us, I don't think anybody's enjoying it anymore. No, I'm actually looking. There's the the BCS know-how people who basically have like the old computer model and they just crunch the numbers on like how the BCS would have ranked teams. I'm looking at it now. The top four are exactly the same as a, as a tolerable playoff. And this, I, we, I said before, like this is probably the top really the right top four, even if it looks crappy because Notre Dame just got blown out. Well, and Ohio State didn't play enough games. I think it's the other problem this year. Yes, I mean that, and that's like, I mean that was the Big Ten's like weird handling of this whole thing. And like at the time, I couldn't really blame them, but it became clear that they shot themselves in the foot by how they decided to do this, rather than putting enough time in the schedule to like actually handle things. Um, so then the BCS is Texas A&M five, so same, and then it has Cincinnati, Indiana, Oklahoma, Georgia, Florida, Coastal. So like that's a much better reflection, I think, of what most people think of this season. Cincinnati sits, Indiana seven, and then Oklahoma, who like looked better by the end. Instead of Oklahoma jumping from 10 to 6 because they beat Iowa State in a rematch, um, they just flipped spots. Florida staying at 7 for the second straight week after losing twice in a row. And I know, like, they played Alabama tough, but still. And then, like, Cincinnati, Georgia. Like, it just um, it just seemed – yeah, I think the computers did a better job than the committee, which the committee just so clearly – and we've said it from 20, since 2014 – and we knew this was going to happen from the start. I probably expected it to be a little less ridiculous than it is. But the, the committee clearly just makes up whatever rationale it wa- it needs to get the teams that they want in there instead of actually, like, sorting it out and do it. It's just so – it's so ridiculous. It's, 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 it's awful. It's, it's, it's almost irreparably harm the sport at this point. 
it's made it like more of a joke. At least when you had the computers, people didn't really have a problem with the computers as much as they did the two teams. Right. But the two teams was so restrictive. Um, but then that, that I mean, I'm and I'm not this person. I I enjoy the bowl system. I enjoy when Syracuse goes to like a, me, a mediocre bowl in the middle of nowhere. Um, I feel like the, the the focus on the playoff has also probably harmed recruiting because that I mean the the playoff is such like the big thing now, but it's so still so restrictive. Um, that I, I do think that probably uh, has a really negative impact on the teams in that like second tier being able to compete with the top tier. Now, if you bump it up to six or eight teams, and like, hey, if you're if you're uh, if you're Indiana and like the normal year, and Indiana has the season it had, like even if you lose to Ohio State, maybe you sneak in as that eight seed, and then you can use that in recruiting. And all of a sudden, Indiana's maybe pulling in a top you know fifteen class or a top twenty class, because then you know say a player isn't in love with the idea of going to Ohio State, but says like, hey, I mean, this is where I'm going to be able to go to the playoff. And also like they have, you know, sits first round pits every other year. I should probably just go here. This is like makes the most sense. If you have a shot from a second tier, third tier school to have a special season, like like Syracuse did a couple years ago, and at like, or at least in the conversation, and you think that you'll enjoy it more there than you will, you know, Clemson or, or Penn State or somewhere. Like, I, I think that would really open things up. I, I know not everyone's geared to the playoffs. It's probably more about going to the NFL, but it's kind of hand in hand um the schools like there's there are basically three schools that are pumping kids in the nfl every year plus like georgia i guess um and i and the playoff is such a big like showcase for that um i i, I struggle to think that like you wouldn't you wouldn't uh improve everything if you just expand to eight teams and then if you want to keep the committee like i would rather get rid of them because they're so inept at this or at least do something to improve the transparency um yeah. or switch to people every year instead of like well, i don't even know what they do now it's like weird terms and they like drop in and out yeah, it's, um, it's it's like some like kangaroo Supreme Court, where where like you just end up with like oh yeah, well this justice has been in here for for seven years, so that's the term, and then this other one's like ah oh, no, I'm I'm done after two, so let, let's rotate in. We got to make sure we get someone from the Big Ten and somebody from a G five conference to say we. I want to know what these G five people are doing. Like I think the Wyoming ADs in there this year. What does he say during all this? Like I'm sure he has like no love loss with Boise State and like say Boise State was involved or like float like in the Cincinnati spot, but like, do you not want to stand up for your people at all? Are you just getting railroaded this whole time? I really, I really want like I want the you know to spy on this whole situation and just see what actually happens. Well, I guess uh, he doesn't care because realistically, the money that goes to the AAC who doesn't really do anything for the Mountain West. That's fair. Um, it's just like I, I just I I wonder what the the people that are from the from the groups being screwed that are involved in the situ- in the in the uh, in the talks like there's always like two or three of them in the out of the thirteen like what are they thinking and like why are they participating if if like there's just no shot of a team from their league they're, um, they're, they're waiting they're waiting to shoot their shot till when Boise State has a chance to be in the playoff. It, which is never. It's just never going to happen. Well, I, well, I, I, say- I agree. But if Boise, like if if teams actually said you know what like if, like if oregon said yes if if georgia said yes if two other like p5 teams said yes and boise had a like five or six top 25 teams on the schedule and like including a couple true road games at sec schools like that's really the line and, and that that's awful that that's the line i feel like boise because of the brand name can do it i don't but- think there's anybody else who can pull it off but would the so say they're building that kind of schedule? A scheduling doesn't really make as currently constituted doesn't really make that uh, possible because they have to do it from so far in advance. Right. Um, but B, 
Um, I just kind of think that the SEC schools would just say no. <laughs> like, I mean, you're, you're not wrong there. And I think that's the problem. Like for Boise, they could like, okay, we'll play Oregon, USC, and like Colorado. It's like, okay, well, great. Well, Colorado cratered. Um, USC does this thing every few years where they finish sixth and sixth and fire the coach. And Oregon has decided that they're a middle-class citizen now. Like, I mean, realistically, I, I agree with you. I, I think that the, the only possibility would be if Boise talked to programs and, and like tried to do it, do short-term scheduling, but, but that's really tough. I think where to kind of close out our conversation around the playoff, I think where it's really hurt, it's, it's hurt programs and fans of teams like us. I think in, in particular though, it's hurt like not the middle class, but like the upper middle class to like almost tier one. Like, like it's kind of ruined fan bases like um, Texas, A&M, Penn State, like even your like Iowa's, Wisconsin's of the world, like fan bases who were fine with like a token Rose Bowl invitation and like, you know, an Outback Bowl here and there. And like now Northwestern this year, like that kind of school where like they have a really good season every so often. Northwestern just really played Ohio State hard and lost two games and they finished what, like 14th and are going to some middling bowl somewhere like. Yeah, well, not even that. I mean, it's not even about that, more even about just like the fact that you, you, you look at how insane, like, like some of these fan bases have always been insane, but, but when you're in that tier two to tier three conversation now, there is like your fan base and your administrations and your boosters are not okay with just sitting there and going, all right, well, maybe we make the playoff once a decade, or, or maybe we can make an access, like, you know, one of the access polls, like realistically it's, it, it's, it's skewed the, the, the rest, the, the bar for success for so many programs, maybe even ours, to be honest, like to, to say that this is playoff or bust. And, and, and that's, I think what's helped escalate kind of this. You know, I mean, I didn't think this was going to be an active, you know, uh, coaching carousel this off season. It's been just as stupid as normal. It's really frustrating just all around this weekend. I do. I'm, I, I do appreciate that. It seems like we hit a real boiling point, point uh, boiling point this weekend between how they handled Cincinnati army. I mean, I know it got rectified today, but army getting left out of the bowls picture, like army of all schools. Um, and just the whole like like South Carolina playing in a bowl with two two wins like it's just so shambolic, um, and I like the Bulls like I've talked about it multiple times. I I watched the North Texas uh, App State game today. Like I love the random Bulls. I don't want the Bulls to go away. I think they need to they could be implemented into a playoff structure better, but also just like more transparency. Um, there's a lot that needs to be done uh, overall, but like I do think that we saw like even like the most down the road down the middle like establishment quote unquote college football media people were like in uproar on Sunday. So um, I do think that's probably good. And there were like, you know, obviously like anonymous quotes from like SEC ADs. I saw, I think Stuart Mandel talked to someone said like, this is ridiculous. And I think for those schools, like you were saying, like those tier two, tier three schools, um, I was looking at Bill C's stuff today. Apparently he was on fine bomb, but I didn't listen to it, but I read some of his quotes. Like the SEC, the middle of the SEC was like not good this year. Um, they're usually like, I think he said five to eight in the SEC this year. So be below, Bama, Florida, AM, Georgia. Um, usually that grouping is in like the top averages out in SP plus in like the top 25 ish, maybe even higher. This year they were 50. They had an average SP plus rating of 50, which is like what you'd expect from like a bad ACC season or like a Pac 12 season. Um, so yeah, I, I do think, I think those teams are suffering. And I think eventually those, those programs, while they're not Alabama or Clemson, like those programs are influential enough as a group where, where I do think you're going to see some backlash even coming from within the power conferences. So hopefully we open this, this thing up. And also at the end of the day, like they're going to make more money if they have an 18 playoff. It's not like 
I don't know. I don't even know what you're losing. <laughs> like it doesn't. It, this makes no sense. There's. I don't think there's any downside. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, and anyway, we kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent, but uh, that's kind of part of the show. We came in saying we're going to have a shorter episode, and then we just went <laughs> <laughs> so long talking about non-serious stuff. We're good. So, so we're, we're going to take a really short uh, divergence into uh, into Garrett Schrader and his uh, commitment to Syracuse as a transfer from Mississippi State uh, before we get into halftime, and then we'll do a little basketball at the end, um, obviously, since the season is currently uh, postponed, I guess. Um so Dan, some fun news over the weekend. Uh, Garrett Trader, who I didn't think was making a decision this early, um, committed to Syracuse. He'll transfer in. Uh, former four-star guy. SU actually offered him um, a couple of years back. And uh, he's a dual threat. I think most people have probably seen like the uh, the helicopter hit um, on him that, that was very reminiscent of Eric Dungy. Uh, but I was looking at, and I kind of looked at in, a, in an article that went up on Monday on the site, uh, was just looking at kind of some pro football focus numbers and kind of seeing like how the two compare as passers versus like, you know, where are the yards on the ground actually coming from with Trader. And I think Trader is a, a true dual threat um, in a vein of Eric Dungy, maybe even better really um, in, in terms of his seeming running style, what he's able to pick up, um, you know, per rush. I think his scrambles seem like they're pretty smart, um, but he's also, you know, pretty decent throwing the ball. I actually felt like uh, from a numbers perspective, him and DeVito, um, we're, we're, we're almost at parity, uh, between the two. I think DeVito actually, interestingly enough, looking at the pro football focus numbers, DeVito actually looked a lot better this year. And I think the numbers show, and I think that we, everybody, uh, necessarily thought, but in general, I, I think that, that, you know, this isn't a shoe in that he gets a starting job, but I, I think he definitely has a lot of the right tools to win it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting comparison because I think he and DeVito are such different players. And we saw, A, I, I'm hoping, I don't really care who wins the job, honestly. Like, I like Tommy. I hope Tommy, it, it'd be a good story if Tommy bounces back and, like, is that guy that we recruited and we thought we were getting. Um, I think what we saw from Tommy his first year really playing, which was when Dungy was still here, maybe there's that kind of competition that really brings out the best in him. Because he's really, you know, I'm not going to say been handed the job last three years. There's, there's been no, like, true challenger for it. Um, so I, hopefully Schrader's presence here, uh, really pushes him. Um, and if Schrader wins a job, I mean, I think obviously it's kind of, it feels lazy to compare him to Dungy, but like, there is something there. Like the, the style of play is, is not dissimilar at all. Um, and I, but I thought like the thing that you brought up in that piece was really, that was really interesting was like the difference between, um, the, the throwing efficiency in the, uh, in pressure versus, uh, non-pressure situations. And obviously, uh, our quarterbacks have been pressured more often than not the last couple of years. And, you know, if our offensive line makes this big corner turn next year, maybe DeVito, who looks really good when he doesn't have guys in his face uh, and doesn't have to make, worry about that kind of uh, that kind of rush, um, maybe he, you know, holds on to the job and, and Schrader can, we can, you know, hold him because he still has three years of eligibility. Um, and then he gets to compete with Justin Lampson and the other guys on the team. But um, if we're still going to have like a middling line, if even if it's improved, but not to the point where like, you know, the quarterback can rely on a clean pocket more often than not, just having his ability to get out and scramble and make something happen like Dungy was able to for, you know, his entire career, um, that might be the difference. Like he, he has that kind of same uh, kind of instinctual. He's really, I think he's probably a little more athletic than Dungy. Maybe he isn't quite the like fullback that Dungy was in the open field. Um, but we saw how much of, uh, you know, when stuff broke down, how good Eric was at making something happen instead of like having a, you know, hope for a, just an, a throwaway or, like, not take a huge sack like DeVito tends to do on occasion. Um, 
So yeah, it's, I'm glad that they have very uh, conflicting styles because I think that almost makes it easier to make a decision versus if like, oh, these two guys look exactly the same and in practice, they're both really good. Like, I think you can kind of figure out like what is going to be best for this team um, by having the two kind of different types of players. Yeah, I completely buy that. And realistically, like, even if, even if there's a slight downgrade in terms of throwing ability, um, in terms of Schrader, um, the numbers don't necessarily bear that out. Uh, on, on deep balls, I mean, I think DeVito has a great arm, but realistically, if you can't get it to guys, then it doesn't really matter. Um, I, I think that DeVito's a little more accurate um, in the like shorter part of the field, but again, it, I think it's a few percentage points. Realistically, you'll, you'll take that you'll take that knock on a, on a few percentage points if you know you you have a, a QB who can throw on the run, who can make things happen with his legs. I mean, I I, I wrote in the piece, I think it's what like ten point seven or something like that yards per uh, per scramble uh, for Schrader, which is I mean really impressive. When you're looking at just like not you know not designed runs and and, and eluding pressure, like that's great. I think the fact that um, he seemed to use a little bit more in the middle of the field um, was great. I, I, I think in general, like what's going to be key is is do we have a normalish off season? Is he on campus in January to um, you know start learning the playbook, start getting acclimated with with some of the guys on the team? Dino's made it clear in, in interviews. I know he's talking to Stephen Bailey um, over 24-7, and it does seem like, um, well, from Garrett Trader's point of view, it does seem like Dino wants him to win the job, or at least wants him to challenge Tommy enough to, to make Tommy win the job. Um, and, and, and so I, I think that this is, this is definitely a net positive um, for Syracuse overall. Uh, I, I just think that the more normal of an offseason we have, and we'll see, if that happens, um, the, the more likely we can see, uh, you know, a, a, the offense Gilbert potentially wants installed um, and, and something that, you know, maybe resembles the 2018 offense or even really, the 20, I'll even take the 2016 offense uh, for, for Syracuse. And, and anything's more watchable than, than, than the crap we watched for most of last season. Yeah. I mean, this, this year's offense is like, shouldn't even be mentioned as like a thing that might happen again. This was, I think like a, a, catastrophic level event this year um i do wonder like the offseason i think is going to be huge like the ncaa needs to just waive whatever time restrictions there are on spring football let schools do it in may or june if 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 that's like the best time to do it because there's no sense in like forcing something in in march if like there's still no vaccine for everybody which it probably won't be for like college age students in march and they're you know frankly college players should not be that high on the list um so I, I don't know. I, I would just hope that like the, the NCAA allows for schools to, to make this happen whenever it's safe um, and then allow for, for schools like Syracuse who are bringing in a potentially new quarterback to like really get a full practice schedule versus like this year where we kind of got, you know, not screwed because every school had to deal with it. For, like, you know, I think Clemson started like in February. So they locked into having like nine practices. We had three, I think. Um, so hopefully whatever the, the time limits or the time restrictions are on when spring football happens, just like get rid of those for the year. It doesn't make any sense. Let schools do it in May if that's what's best and that's going to be the safest thing. Agreed, agreed. Uh, Dan, let's do some quick halftime here and then we can talk hoops since I know people are probably chomping at the bit um, there. So uh, what did you drink? Uh, I'm still working on a lot of the Evil Twin stuff uh, that I bought last week. Um, I'm actually currently having um, the same the rice dressed uh, citrus potpourri, which I had last week. Last week I had it really quickly after I uh, got back from the brewery, so you know, lugging on the train from Queens. Um, this has been in the fridge now for a while, and I'm enjoying it a lot more that it's like really sat and gotten cold. Um, and then I also had uh, a from Dogfish had 
uh, s'mores night in the woods stout, uh, really nice, like, you know, sweet notes on a, a double imperial stout, um, which, you know, I thought a couple weeks ago how much I was enjoying stouts recently. Definitely a good winter beer. Um, and then mostly just other kind of stuff, uh, or evil twin stuff from, from that I talked about a couple weeks ago. Very nice. Um, on my end, didn't have a ton. Uh, I was kind of, I figured I was probably gonna be drinking more during the holidays. So kept a little easy. I, I had some, I had a bunch of whiskey actually. So I guess I didn't take it that easy, but, um, had some society, the harlot, uh, Belgian blonde. And I mentioned that one last week. Um, Highland park had a, uh, wild ale, a, uh, lingua franca fruta, which was super good wild ale. Um, definitely one of my favorites of the year. Um, it was barrel aged with blackberries, raspberries, mulberries, uh, marionberries, and cherries. Um, kind of tasted and like, wasn't like overly tart either, which is, uh, which is a nice uh, benefit to me, uh, someone who deals with some heartburn. And then, uh, dry river brewing, um, in LA had the, uh, Ode Bruin Cassis, uh, it was a uh, Flanders, but uh, a little bit different. Um, I felt like it trended more like mild, which was good. Um, cause again, if, if you deal with heartburn, sometimes a, a Flanders red can be a, a bit aggressive, but definitely enjoyed that one. Um, and I'll have plenty more to report, uh, this coming week. Uh, well, we're not going to do an, an episode next week, but in the new year, I'm sure I'll have plenty to talk about. Yeah. After Christmas week and new year's, I think we will all, the, the segment's going to be long. So if you, if you're only in it for the beer, check in with us after uh, our week off. Yeah, the real this one for the real beer heads out there. We're gonna have a <laughs> twenty minute halftime. Uh, all right, Dan, uh, doing some basketball, uh, kind of check in quick here. Um, as we mentioned, two into Syracuse last week, hell of a block for for Alan Griffin. Uh, one of the uh, a completely underrated play, I think. Like it had it, it, impressive. If that happened against like a really good team, and that we like won a game in overtime after that, like if that happened against uh, Duke. We would we would be talking about the play every day for the rest of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there's like an I mean, if that was an NCAA tournament play, it'd be, it'd be talked about almost as much as the the block itself um, from Hockey Warwick. But, but realistically, like super athletic play. Um, you know, obviously SU kind of put themselves in that situation to begin with, uh, but super athletic play. Um, Quincy Garrier just continues to like carry this offense on his shoulders. Um, 27 in that game and the overtime win really impressive. Uh, I know we were talking about it on Twitter a little bit afterwards that like SU what looked like garbage and then found a way in the second half to fix the offense, fix enough of the defense um, to, to, to make it matter with, with, with some press and then just completely obliterated Buffalo for the last like 15 minutes of game time. Um, just, we haven't seen a, a Syracuse team be able to do this in years. And uh, it's, it's, it's exciting to watch. I'm really bummed that we can't carry that momentum into, into what would have been a Notre Dame game on Tuesday. Um, and, and who knows how many other games get canceled, unfortunately, but um, I, I this, this team isn't perfect. I'm terrified of what this team, I have what, what they can't defend um, in, in ACC play. But I, I think that they have the shooting ability to hang with just about anybody, which is, amazing to say given like what we've been witnessing in recent years and they haven't shot it well yet like they a couple of games they have but like they were three for 19 on on uh sunday in buffalo or saturday and scored 107 saturday. points and scored 107 points they outstored buffalo 70 to 48 in the la- in second half in overtime that's crazy it's crazy we were down down you know 11 going into the half but this is a team, team that was scoring like 55 points in ncw tournament games like two years ago yeah it's uh it's it's more fun, um, I will say. 
And I, you know, the defense isn't great. Uh, I think that's pretty clear. It's not that surprising that it's not great because I don't think we have it's comically bad at normal- times. Yeah, I don't think we have the normal kind of dart play we have. We would usually have, but I think Kadari is already our best dart defender. Um, I think he's supernatural there. He he's made some really impressive plays on top, at the top of the zone. Plays that you usually see like a junior guard who's been in the system for a while make. Um, I think he is going to continue to eat into those minutes. Uh, whether or not Jim Beheim wants to admit that, uh, he basically played the entire uh, stretch run uh, in the second half. I think he played the last like 15 minutes of the game uh, for Joe Girard. So. I, I mean, it's pretty obvious what's happening here. Whether or not he takes the starting job, I don't particularly care. Um, I would be happy with it. But, like, I just think Gerard is a guy, if he's hot to start, I, I actually can see the argument for starting Gerard because if he's hot off the gates, ride him. And then if not, like, if he's not hot, Tadari's a better player. So you you see what you have from Joe. Um, see if he makes a shot, couple shots early. And then if not, like, Richmond just needs to be in there. And Buddy, I think Buddy's really impressive because – uh, when he's not hitting shots, which he was not, he was over five from three. Um, he can still get his. He goes to the mid range. Alan Griffin, great breakout in the second half. Uh, Beheim uh, got into him after his really awful game against Northeastern, and then his awful first half. And Beheim, you know, some guys do not respond well to Beheim's uh, kind of tough love, quote unquote. Uh, it seems like Griffin has, uh, and he's kind of like learned to uh, to use that to fuel him. He said, and then Quincy's just like the best player on the team, which I, I I was very high on Quincy coming into the year. I thought he'd be really good. I did not see him being this. This is like the best post player we've had since senior rack, and he's a sophomore. I, I'd, argue so he's, it, I'd argue still he's better than senior year rack because he has maybe, a shooting range. Yeah, I mean, he's more he's a more complete player. Um, he's definitely he's definitely going to be a first-round pick. I, I like I know we're kind of jumping the gun on this, but I think, feel like he's... It's, it's looking like it. Did you just prepare yourself for him leaving? Because like... It sucks, but you know what? Like, if SU manages to get to the NCAA tournament on the strength of what could very well be like an all-conference plus type season, like you, you absolutely take that. And I saw some people. I think me and you both tweeted like simultaneously, like, "Oh, Quincy's gone <laughs> over here," um, which is not a, not a not a bummer thing at all. Like, we no. did not expect this. He is he is going to earn that spot. Um, and I saw some people respond like, "You know, he's a six foot seven uh, power forward." I'm like. Yeah, he's not going to be a top 10 pick, but if you look at the NBA, if he's Mont- uh, Montrose Harrell, like... I mean, he could get picked where Baisley was picked. Yeah, if you're in the 20s and you're a six foot seven, just beast of an athlete, and you can hit an open uh, three from the corner, which he's doing every game now, but he's not doing it stupidly. He's he's taking really good shots. Um, he's hitting free throws. He's getting to the line. He's... he's uh, and and he he's a player that is going to rebound for you. He's in a store on putbacks. He's going to pop from the corner. Um, his defensive position is going to be a little interesting, but I think he's athletic enough to 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 do something at the wing. And you know you're not going to have to feed him for him to score. He's kind of like I mean he's not a very I don't think he's similar to Jeremy. Like he looks very different on the court, but I think he occupies some of the same things where he has like enough three point potential where you can't leave him open. Um, he's super athletic. He doesn't need to be fed the ball. Um, I mean, I, a team's gonna be very happy with that, and like if they're picking the twenty to twenty-five range, I think. No, absolutely, and like I, you know, I brought up Baisley, but you could you could find numerous players in that same like general mold. Because um, when you're drafted, you're not looking for a star necessarily. You'll you'll be thrilled if you get one, but you're looking for someone who can play like twenty minutes and be a positive and just like fill a role. And those guys get paid like that. Those guys get like you know fifteen million, eighteen million a year if they're if they're just consistent and. Gary has been really consistent this year. Yeah, I honestly, like, he's been consistent. I mean, he won player of the week this week, but 
he he's a force on the board. Like he's a force on the boards. He, he and his ability to to play efficiently in the paint and get to the line and, and just do all these little things that I think we Syracuse hasn't had a lot of players who can do that lately and draw contact and just find like I mean you and I have talked about this for years. It just in the last five years there's been so few offensive players in the paint. Like even someone like O'Shea Brissett, who should have potentially been you know a finisher in the lane, like wasn't. Uh, for the most part. So you ended up with this just huge stretch where you're just playing three out basketball and then like two, you know, forwards just kind of hanging around. Um, and and all they're really there to do is rebound. And as Syracuse starts shooting more threes in the last couple of years, the long rebounds then make those uh, those bigs who, who are largely offensive liabilities useless because they're not close. They're not going to be able to get those rebounds um, the, the way they would have if, if you're getting more shots inside the arc. So I, I think that, you know, Gary has really changed what this SU team can do. I think it's hopefully changed, uh, you know, what you can pitch to recruits because um, we have a, a lot of guys, I think, who are in that same general, like, physical mold um, of Gary A. And, and if they're seeing this and seeing what, you know, what kind of a, you know, tweener 3-4 can do, um, you know, with, with, with two years in the program, like, I, I like I like where this could be headed. Um, but I also don't want to get ahead of myself. Just generally, like, obviously this team has flaws, but I can't remember the last time I've really enjoyed the top seven or eight players on a team this much. Like, there's no, there's, I mean, once once we get uh, Barama back, like, I think it's a really well-configured team. Um, I think it needs to find itself on defense, and there are those ruts that it hits in on offense that all these Syracuse teams do. But I do think that whatever Beheim's done at halftime, he's he's really figured something out. Because every, every time we have one of these games where we're super slow to start, something happens in the second half where we start to click, whether it's getting the ball to Marek and letting him uh, negotiate from the line more or finding Buddy more or Joe gets a couple big shots or obviously Gary A does his thing or Kadari sparks a team, I think, every time he's in. Like, I think this team just is more well-calibrated to coming back from games like this because I don't think the teams the last couple of years would have won this game. And this team just has enough options and enough d- diverse options uh, to really figure something out. So um, I'm I'm... You know, I don't think it's a great team. I am really enjoying it, even though it's going to be a heart attack this year. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm fine with I'm fine with squeaking into the tournament again if it means I get to watch more of this team. And we're not Kentucky. Every time it looks a little <laughs> bad, go look at Kentucky's uh, uh, schedule this year or like what they've done. They just like ran a player off because like the vibes were bad or something. Like, <laughs> come on, <laughs> Calipari, no bad vibes. Oh. <laughs> Uh, all right, Dan. When do you think we're coming back to the court here a- after Buffalo's positive test that's completely like scuttled things? Yeah, it's it sucks that this happened now. As we, I think we're set to have some momentum. Um, I'm gonna, you know, our next game's not for nine days. I'm gonna, I'm going to have some faith that we get cleared. Um, I don't know. Has Buffalo named the player who it was? I don't know if they would have. I don't think they will realistically, just because of like uh, patient doctor confidentiality. Yeah, it, it is what it is. Like yeah. it's hard to know because like. You know, with our own situation a couple of weeks ago, it was it was like a, a walk on. So there's if it was something like that, like maybe there wasn't a huge risk of it transmitting. I'll I'll be confident that we play that week game. But obviously, everything's in the air. Um, the only the, I guess the upside is like the next game after that's on January second, and like that's almost full two full weeks away. So like maybe at worst we just miss one more after the Notre Dame. Yeah, but I really wanted the Notre Dame and Wake games so that we could go in eight and one. <laughs> Oh, I agree. It sucks, but because I don't want to, because I don't want to have to jump into Florida State and North Carolina back to back cold. That's true. Although I'm not scared of either of those teams. I don't think anyone in the ACC is very good this year. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Dope. Hey, we, have, we have two playoff football teams. Like we can basketball will be okay. No one's gonna pretend like basketball's bad. Fair. Or or acknowledge basketball is bad when it actually is. Um we have two playoff football teams. We're about to make a lot of money. Thank you, Notre Dame, for your for your service. <laughs> some, some big Notre Dame Notre Dame, always the most troops non-military academy school <laughs> fulfilling their destiny. Just thank you for going to Alabama and losing forty-five to seven in a couple weeks. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you for the double payout. Um, I do wonder, and not to prolong this episode more, um, I do wonder if like the fact that Notre Dame, I don't, let's say like Trevor Lawrence didn't have COVID and Notre Dame lost that Clemson game, they wouldn't be in the playoff right now. I wonder like if this is the best possible scenario for Notre Dame potentially getting convinced to join the conference. Mm-hmm. Like the conference championship like game gives them so many more opportunities. Oh yeah. I mean, it definitely, definitely gives them more opportunities. I guess the question is just like, do they think it's worth the, they think it's worth the hassle, I guess. Cause then if like, let's just say like they turn into like Florida state or Miami where they just start like getting like knocked around by like Wake Forest and they're like, nah, fuck this. I mean, they already do that. They already do that. (laughs) No. So like if you're Notre Dame and, and so you have the NBC deal, which is 15 million a year for just football. So it's a lot. And then we get, they had another seven and change, I think from ACC for basketball and everything else. Yeah. If the, if the, if, uh, if the they make more like, money in the league. They would make more money in the league by default. I wonder, there has to be a way for the ACC to like give Notre, let Notre Dame keep the, the NBC deal. And the Boise State situation, basically. Yes, basically give them a Boise State situation. I know people would write about it. I think it's oh, worth I, it. I mean, I'd, I'd be outraged. It, it, I, yes, I think it's worth adding to the lead, though. I think it's worth the headache. And maybe even like, say, like you keep like 10 of the 15 million, the five gets divvied up, and then you get the full ACC. It, it kind of, it's kind of annoying. Um, and then I think Clemson probably says like, what about us? And we're, you know, we'll figure that out. But I think you can find a way to make this happen um, to get them in. Because I think there's just, I think it makes too much sense for both sides. And it's just Notre Dame being stubborn at this point. There. No, I agree with that. Like the, the ratings have been crazy this year for Notre Dame ACC games, which I did not expect. Well, like, ACC was actually like decent at the top half. Yeah. Just, no, us, and I us, think us and Duke and Georgia Tech just sucked. I think I think everyone was probably going into the year like, oh, they're not going to play Michigan State and USC and Stanford. Like the ratings would be down. No, they were up. And like I know they had the Clemson team that was a big part of it, but like they were up overall. And hey, if you get rid of divisions and you go to a pod situation uh, and let Notre Dame have its however many non-conference games, like you could have Notre Dame Clemson like every other year probably. Well, I feel like realistically, ACC fans aren't watching Notre Dame games, but I feel like Big Ten fans are like casually just turning on Notre Dame. It's like that because yeah, that's their jam. So there's no like new audience because <laughs> <laughs> there's like no new audience. They're like, oh, this is boring. Let's do this. Um, but yeah, like ATC fans aren't necessarily doing that. So like you kind of like you found a new group of people to to market your games to this time around. I mean, I mean, you you, you notice it as a college football consumer. Like the, the advertising that happens during a Notre Dame game is wildly different than, than the advertising that happens during um, oh. any any ESPN <laughs> broadcast. Yes. Where, where, you're, want- you're, you're, you're being sold B2B um, marketing opportunities um, with, during a Notre Dame game while, and like, and like, you're literally like, you're, you're basically an enterprise decision maker and, and they're assuming that's who you are in the Notre Dame games while, while, while they're just assuming you're just another John Q fan um, during any ESPN broadcast. And, and, and it is jarring when you like, cause I usually try to avoid Notre Dame broadcast for that reason, but well, it is watching jarring. Notre Dame broadcast like in full, which I did twice this year with the Clemson game and the Syracuse game is a very, very weird experience. And I hadn't done it. Cause I was a Notre Dame, Dame uh, fan growing up. 
and I don't remember it being as crazy. It's it's weird <laughs> because it's like it's like a Notre Dame infomercial with a football game involved, <laughs> too, which is it's very off putting. Um, and then occasionally they'll be like, Mike Trico, you you went to Syracuse. That was fun, right? And he's like, yep. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I know. I, I just think like if, when you add in like ESPN making even a bigger college football push with their SEC thing, obviously they have a vested interest in the ACC being more of a product with the ACC network. And then like Jim Phillips, the Nets ACC commissioner, worked at Notre Dame for a few years before he went to Northwestern. Like there's a lot of things I think we could be gearing towards this, especially like if I, it's, there's, there's some like rumblings about kind of bottom up realignment maybe happening soon. Um, yeah. starting with I think Boise, we, we talked about Boise today and we should do this in the off season. I think Boise, there's a chance they go independent. They should, honestly. Even if like, leaves. I, 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 I think we see, a, I, yeah, I do think we see the, the opposite thing happen now where you start having like unbundling of services, basically where, where teams like Boise or even, I mean, this would never happen, but if a team like Ole Miss said, Hey, wait a second. Like we're never making the playoff. Like, like we're absolutely not making the playoff, but do our rivals care enough about us? If we left the sec that we could construct our own schedule, create like something that was at least entertaining, um, you know, throw on a, a throw on an eye patch and, and, and act like actual rebels and, <laughs> and our, our fans would enjoy it. We probably still wouldn't make the playoff, but at least like we, at least we have more, self-determination out of it like i don't know i i just feel like i i feel like the super conference the fact that we got so close to to real super conferences at 16 teams or more like i think started now that we're seeing like what happens at the other end of that and and when the money stops flowing in at the same rate everyone's like wait a second like i'm actually just stopping myself from being competitive i don't think we'll see it from the sec i'd be very surprised right no i agree with that so much money I do think I think Boise. If you go, guys, go read like Brian Harson was basically trying to get them to leave the, the Mountain West um, this year, like in September when the Mountain West wasn't going to play. <laughs> Brian Harson was sending like all caps, like like daddy mails to the president and the AD, saying like, "We have to leave. The future of Boise State is at stake." <laughs> so I could see them either making like a overture to obviously they'll probably they'd love to go to the Big Twelve or even the Pac Twelve, which I don't think either. Maybe the Big Twelve would. I don't know why the Big Twelve wouldn't entertain them more. Pat's I don't think they really like would want them. No. Um, I wonder if they like they could do an AAC thing, like do a do a uh, a Navy um, one sport situation. Well, then they got to house uh, everything well, somewhere else, though. Yeah. Then they got to throw oh, them. The, yeah, they got throw them like the Big West or. Well, that they were they they emailed them like they were they were yeah. this was this was there were there were feelers put out. So I, oh, I yeah, I did see that I, the, 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 the the U up text messages. Yeah, uh, they they sent feelers to the Big West and the WCC. And the WCC was like, we're very religious. We're not going to do this. Uh, Midwest, maybe. Um, I don't know. I think Boise is not in the Mountain West in like five years. And then like, I think I think the big schools that are making a lot of money on their conference deals will stay. I do think we'll see more um, like fristy group of fives uh, maybe venture out or maybe try to form a new league or something. I don't know. I think something's going to happen that's interesting in the next couple of years that we didn't anticipate. I buy it. Yeah, that's definitely some off-season fodder. Yep. Maybe, maybe off season. Actually, I want to do this in the off season. I, th- I think we need to have a realignment draft. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> just, just you and me deciding that we're just going to draft two and like, but like, not like just pick the best programs. Like, there's got to be like some stupid stipulation. We can find if we want to make it interesting. If we want to do like the five, the five by sixteen. We can find three people to do this draft with us. Find or, three people maybe outside or, or, the or, or we just have three entire episodes where we just draft oh. six different leagues. May I mean. After, aside from our lacrosse national title, we have a lot to talk about in May. So, 
I think I think if we win the lacrosse national title, we need to claim two titles. We should. We should claim one anyway. Yeah, just I mean Hopkins does it, so I can't wait. Yeah. Hopkins claim the like World War II era titles. Like we'll <laughs> claim the we'll claim the, the, the COVID title. That's fine. Uh, Dan, anything else before we go? No, we've again we 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 came in saying maybe thirty five or forty minutes. No, we're at uh, fifty four, and like we're yeah. stopping ourselves. Uh, <laughs> no, I just hope everyone has a good holiday, stay safe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, we're, we're I think light at the end of the tunnel here. Uh, hopefully, Syracuse basketball is not too negatively impacted. Um, but yeah, just uh, everyone have a good time and and keep the uh, keep the the sanity everywhere. Agreed. Everyone stay safe. Uh, try to stay home as much as possible. Uh, but have a happy holiday. And uh, I know it's going to be a weird one, but if everyone does their part, maybe next year's is not. Uh, but that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noon Snaps the podcast. You rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.